Hi, I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Sarah Brunsvold. Sarah creates stories that speak hope, truth, and life. Influenced by humble women of God who find his fingerprints in the everyday, she does the same in her life and her storytelling. Sarah is the author of The Extraordinary Deaths of Mrs. Kipp and her upcoming novel, The Divine Proverb Abstrusal. Sarah's recognitions include the 2020 ACFW Genesis Award for Contemporary Fiction and the 2023 winner of the Christie Award for her first novel. She lives with her family in Kansas City, where she can often be spotted writing at a park or a library. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much, Kara. Thanks for having me today. I am so excited to talk to you. The Extraordinary Deaths of Mrs. Kip was one of my favorite books that I've read all year this year. So I just knew oh, I had to easy. ask if you would come talk to me on the show. Oh, <laughs> that that is so wonderful. Thank you for that compliment. And it is a delight uh, to talk to you today. Yeah, I can't tell you how many friends I've then gone on like and recommended the book of like, you have to read this. And I don't even know how to categorize it sometimes because there's so much depth to the story. So it's very beautiful. Oh, praise God. Well, thank you for that. You're very welcome. Well, I feel like you're so much more than this bio. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so as a writer, I well, and as a reader, to a certain extent, I love uh, writing stories that are set in my native Midwest. Um, so if you love Midwestern stories set in the Midwest that deal with uh, intergenerational relationships and dynamics, um, I think we could be friends because that's who I am as as a writer. And I tend to gravitate to stories like that as a reader as well. Um, I grew up in a multi-generational farm community where um, it was actually, so the community I grew up in is, is kind of the genesis for the, for the setting and the community that we see in the divine proverb of Strusel. Okay. So it's um, a German Lutheran immigrant hamlet um, that was founded by my ancestors. My ancestors helped wow. found this little hamlet in Northeast Missouri. And so the church that they helped found was the church that I grew up in. And multiple, multiple generations of my family were in that church. My, I grew up with both sets of grandparents and all my aunts and uncles, and I have a lot of them. <laughs> and uh, my mom is from a very large family and um, grew up on the, the same farm that, that my brother and I were the third generation um, okay. on that farm. And so, you know, I think the love for intergenerational dynamics and relationships started very early on in life. And I didn't really, I don't think I really appreciated how special that was until I kind of got out on my own in the world and moved to the city, you know, far away from, uh from where i grew up and and realized that not everybody else had that you know growing up didn't really have that same level of understanding or sensitivity to to other generations and so um i love that and i love hearing other people's stories and 
uh, especially stories that speak life and truth and hope. Um, I, I love stories from, from people who have lived through some really difficult circumstances and have come out the stronger for it or the wiser for it. Um, I just get a, a real kick out of stories like that. So uh, that's kind of just, that's who I am. And as, as a reader, as a writer, um, and as a human being, yeah, I just, I yeah. love connecting with people and, and hearing their stories. That's beautiful. I was going to ask if you still lived out in this little hamlet, but it sounds like, no, you've moved to the city now. <laughs> I, I have, yeah, I moved to the city, uh, you know, job opportunities, you know, much like um, people before me, you know, moving off the farm and trying to find their way in, in other, in other um, circumstances. But yeah. but yeah, my heart is still on that little plot of land in Northeast Missouri. It's still my, you know, everybody has a mental happy place that they go to. Sure. And, and so for me, it's um, on our farm there, we, it sounds fancy, but it's really not. We call them the river bottoms, but there's a <laughs> hill that overlooks the river bottoms. And I've always, there's this, one little spot on top of the hill that looks out over the valley and that's my mental happy place so when i am just feeling a little little overwhelmed or just need to to find some peace that's that's where i mentally place myself is is right there on that hill yeah i love that is the farm still in existence in your family well the the technically yes it's now owned by a distant relative but okay. um but yeah my immediate family no longer owns it uh, okay. but it's good to know that it's still in in good hands yeah this reminds me i feel like of so many small towns of like you can go back and because your family had such a strong presence in the community it's everyone knows everyone in these small towns right <laughs> yes everyone knows everyone and everyone knows how the uh how the generations connect back yeah. like everybody knows who's parent who's grandparent and it's it's pretty cool yeah even with a large family right to think about in someone else's mind who's not connected to your family to know those relationships and who goes down what line of the lineage it's right that can be complicated yeah. <laughs> for an outsider it can. <laughs> it, it can be complicated yes uh but but also pretty cool you know to, to know um i think that's what um not to romanticize small towns too much but i think there's a lot of um just natural bonding that happens in in small towns because of that because there are usually some bloodlines at play or uh, marriage lines at play and so um it, it's that stereotype of small towns bounding banding together you know when times get tough i mean it's yeah. it's true and, and there's a lot of reasons for that but yeah. yeah, I grew up in a small town in Illinois as well. Oh, nice. And a funny story about my husband, he grew up in the city of Chicago. <laughs> and so the first time he came out to visit or and meet my family, I guess it was and my aunt and uncle even live in like an unincorporated, like they're not even in a town. And so they, he comes out and we're driving out together. And I, it, I think it was a holiday or something. We were going for a dinner. And he looks at me and goes, if I get hurt out here, will I be okay? And I was like, <laughs> we're not uncivilized. Like, <laughs> it was oh my like so disconcerting for him who like grew up in the city and, you know, just this bigger city life, like to be out in the middle of nowhere, like really just 
now I think I've broken him down. Like, I'm like, okay, when you're done with the military, can we go retire to, I want land. I want space. Like, yes, I don't love the city life because it feels too busy and too many people around. And, oh, yeah. um, and he's now finally, I think we've gotten there, you know, 13 years mm. later. <laughs> oh, good for you. Slow so, and steady. Yeah. I don't know that he'll go like super small town, but at least he's open to the idea of like a smaller town. And yeah. so, yeah. I think you will appreciate there. There is definitely a slower pace to yeah. to a small town that that I miss. Um, there's a lot of benefits to the city, you know. I, I agree with him on that. There's a lot of benefits, but yeah, there's um, there's just something about that slower pace, and I don't. It's just a different mentality in in smaller towns. So I do miss that. We lived in Sicily was one of our duty stations and it definitely has oh. that small or that slower pace mm -hmm. of life. And that was one thing as we were getting ready to leave and come back to the States, we're like, that is what we want to hold on to. Like it was mm -hmm. so perfect. We had two of our babies there. So our life was slower anyways. I think just you're mm -hmm. like really immersed in, I mean, it's chaotic in your own family, but you just have to like hunker down and, like, <laughs> and be a family unit. But that was one thing, that slow pace of life that we're like, we mm -hmm. want to bring that back to the States and not get too chaotic because it is so easy to do to just add all these things on your plate and lose sight of that. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I feel like we've kind of digressed a little bit from, <laughs> <laughs> from that. So I feel like we're at a really good point. So will we see snippets of this Hamlet in your upcoming novel? Divine yes. Proverb. Okay. Yes. So I, um, so my mom was sort of a beta reader for for this, um, and she's like, "Oh, I totally recognize." It. I so love the that. the real life um, setting or the real life town is called West Ely, Missouri. Okay. And if anyone is familiar with West Ely, which is going to be a fairly small number of um, people, but they would easily recognize that as okay. what I'm describing. It goes by the name Edner in the story, but that's that's what I'm describing. And okay. so yes, it is the setting uh, for the story and the church that is there in, in the Hamlet is the church of, so there's two po uh, point of view characters. There's Uncle Wes and then Nikki Warner, his niece. And so Uncle Wes is the one who owns the farm and lives on the farm. And so his church, yeah, is and his church community is largely based on this real life Hamlet uh, that that I knew growing growing up. I love that. Well, can you tell us briefly about what the book will be about, so we can look Absolutely. forward to it? <laughs> yeah. So so we have a a young woman named Nikki Warner. Uh, she's go, she's reeling from a family crisis, and she deals with that by cooking her way through her great grandmother's authentic German recipes. I love and that. And so she's escaping the city life, and she is going to um, small town, her uncle's farm, and that's where she discovers this journal among this handwritten journal among her late grandmother's belongings no one really knows who wrote it but it's full of proverbs that have been paired with german recipes and wow. so she starts cooking her way through it and the more she recipes that she prepares the more wisdom that she gathers and the more family history she gathers and and all of that together is is helping her figure out um the next best thing uh through this crisis wow 
I have the chills as you're talking about finding the handwritten notebook. That would be so amazing to have that. Oh, yes. You know, and it's, um, it's actually, as I was researching this book, obviously I, I dove back into my own family history and, sure. and legacy and, um, in that church community that I grew up in and, and wouldn't you know it, there, there were a lot of notebooks and a lot of artifacts um, within my own family archives that inspired some of the fictional versions that you see in the story. So for instance, this notebook that she finds, um, it's inspired by two different things. The first is, um, the idea for that actually came from a book um, that I read. It was a family memoir that I read, um, a Kansas City Star uh, reporter wrote about his German immigrant family and he okay. mentioned that his grandmother kept what was called and the, I guess this is fairly this was this was a thing it's called a common book um, okay. and it's just a, a notebook that you write down um, bits of wisdom or things that you want to pass on and she had kept this common book handwritten you know just something that she got at the dime store nothing fancy but she was pouring in to, into the pages all the, this life wisdom that she had gleaned throughout her years with the intention of giving it to her kids and grandkids. And it just got put away in an attic and forgotten about. Um, and I thought, well, well, that's an interesting idea. And then, of course, the other inspiration for it was in my own family artifacts. Of course, I'm finding handwritten German recipes and... <laughs> I'm finding a, a uh, little co paperback composition notebook where someone has, instead of writing out the wisdom, they found it in what looks like newspapers or magazines and they have clipped it and then pasted oh, cool. it on the pages of, and some of them were in German, some of them were in English. And you know, so just those two real life inspirations kind of collided to make this, fictional journal where you've got wisdom from the book of Proverbs and from life experience combined with German recipes and that has been passed down. And um, so, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun to write. And so you see excerpts from the pages okay, of the recipes themselves. Okay. Yep. 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 So we could cook uh, alongside the book. <laughs> definitely. Yes. So you can cook right alongside Nikki. And so the recipes are included and um, the proverbs that go along with them are included. And those were a lot of fun to write and to research because yeah. I had never made a German dish before, even though- I was gonna, okay. I was gonna ask if this was inspired by your cooking. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, even though I grew up with German heritage, we, we didn't really have a lot of German food growing up. Um, and, and there are some reasons for that, you know, things just kind of fall by the wayside sure. over the generations, but, um, but I never really prepared any, I didn't even know my grandmother had German recipes, but, uh, sure enough, she did. And, um, so that was, that was new for me as well. I, I had to cook alongside, uh, Nikki, you know, as I was researching the book and, uh, found some new family favorites <laughs> along the way Love it. and uh, but yeah it's uh, I yeah I it, it was eye-opening for me in a lot of ways you know just I think family uh, family stories have a way of illuminating history 
in ways that just, you know, straight textbooks don't or can't. Sure. Um, and it also helps you understand who you are and where you came from, you know, yeah. by, by knowing those who in your bloodline before you. Yeah. I was thinking that as you were saying that is it allows you to immerse yourself in the history of the story too, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, this is where I fit in here. Yeah. Um, and I love yeah. what you're saying. I feel like you've probably learned so much about your family, even more than even being raised with them, which is such a unique experience. I feel like for many Americans, but to also then to learn so much more of them through these books and the recipes that you were cooking. And I imagine there's a connection that comes with that as well. Yeah, right. So I, I, I say that, that food is often the conduit. Um, food is such a, a, a wonderful representation of someone's culture or, or mm -hmm. heritage. So to connect through food is, is like this huge wide open door. It, it just draws you in and then I, I think it just makes you more um, uh, ripe, shall we say, to to receive other things that come with with it. So yeah. whether that's learning someone's culture, learning someone's heritage, learning your own heritage, um, and so the, and that was definitely that's definitely true for Nikki in the story as well. Yeah. You know, the food is just sort of that open door, um, but once she's through that door, she she begins to. Um, understand things in new ways and new and important ways. Yeah. And it takes you out of, I imagine, right, for Nikki, the character, cooking and focusing on something else that you really, you do have to pay attention to and you're reading the recipe, right? So you're, there's a certain amount of brain power that has to go into that. And it allows her to come out of the crisis a little bit to start to process, pull right. like almost pull you back down to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's therapeutic in that way, yeah. um, for sure. And and I think um, that's one of the things that I enjoy about cooking as well. You know, if if it's a hard day and cooking, you also have a certain amount of control over, yeah. you know, over how things are coming together, and and that's a very therapeutic feeling as well. So yeah, yeah. I like how you phrased that. It, it did it does sort of help her come out. Um, sort of look at things more objectively you know she's she's kind of separating herself from the situation and and can see it with new eyes and yeah there's that i love that about cooking it it, it is therapeutic yeah i always joke with my husband that you know there's the five love languages they talk about i'm like cooking needs to be the sixth because to <laughs> me cooking is love and when i when i am cooking for mm -hmm. my family i mean some days yes i'm like slapping stuff together it's a busy weeknight or something but to me, when I'm cooking food for my family and then we sit down as a family together, that for me is a form of mm -hmm. love the way I love them. Yeah. And it just and I think I'm my my family is Italian. So like cooking is very, you know, that is very immersed in your heritage. And so it's just I knew that from my grandmother. My mom always cooked when I was a kid and then it's just passed down. And so for me, it's my love language is cooking and giving mm -hmm. my family a good meal. <laughs> that's that's beautiful and it's so true yeah I, the italian especially i mean there, there's so much love and emotion that that is packed into a, even a simple dish yeah um and i will say the other thing about cooking too is um there's one recipe that kicks off the story and um what i find fascinating 
is some of these recipes that have been passed down through generations. It's like, how did they know how to do that? How did they know how long to cook something at what temperature? And how did they know that that flavor was going to go with this? And just the resourcefulness and the, the amount of um, intelligence and, and creativity that goes into preparing a dish, not just for you know one meal or one evening, but a dish that sustains generations yeah. of, of hungry families. I find that really fascinating of how these, and, and they were largely housewives, you know, in, in the middle of Germany and, and they were, they had very meager things to use. Um, they might have a potato and, and two ounces of meat and yet they make this meal out of it. And, um, and that does come from a place of love for sure. And it, and it also comes from a place of ingenuity and yes. uh, scrappiness that I think um, comes about as you're, as you're researching these recipes and sort of leaning into them. I love what you say about the resourcefulness, because I think that's so true. Like, I'm always impressed when, you know, I'll, you can just whip something together out of the fridge. Like, okay, I've got this ingredient. I've got that ingredient. Now, what can I make with it? Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, that's so impressive, like a, a different level of cooking when you can do that, where a lot of times I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy the things I need to make this recipe, right? Like I've already chosen the recipe ahead of time. But to your point of just knowing what you have, what can you do with it and the resourcefulness of that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, butter. I mean, butter just always have that on hand. <laughs> that was yep. the other thing I learned. <laughs> butter makes everything better. <laughs> I, as you were talking, actually, I was thinking about my daughter and I have been reading um, the Little House on the Prairie series. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's a little, the one, Big Town, the one with the Big Town in the title. And they talk mm -hmm. about making butter. And it's like a three-page process. And my daughter's five. And I was like, did you know that that much work went into making butter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of work. Yeah. yeah and just to think about what our ancestors didn't have. You know, mm -hmm. they would have to do all those steps to make the butter just to be able to cook the dish with the butter. I mean, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I love those stories too, like how they, how they preserved meat too. Yes. I mean, how, how, you know, I always go back to how did they know how to do this? How did they figure it out? It's, it's fascinating. What trial and error did they go through yeah, with know, the meat right? to like figure out, yes, salt pork and all of yeah. that. It's, I, when I was a kid, I actually wanted to be in the little house in the prairie books. Like it would have been the hardest mm -hmm. life ever, but there was something about it as a child that I was like, no, I want to go try living out on the plains yeah. <laughs> like, or on the prairie, I guess, live out on the prairie and do all these things. But it was hard work. It was. Yes, I know. Yeah. Hard life, you know, um, hard days, long days, yeah. yeah, the amount of chores they have to do. And yeah, so I grew up on a, on a dairy farm, so I could somewhat relate to the okay. long hours and the hard life and, um, you know, having to be out at 5 a.m. and regardless of the weather and, and doing chores. But man, they they had it much different than than the modern life. Um, just from the very like you said, you know, just the basic things to have in their house, like butter, yeah. um, or even having the meat, the the 
the process because I think one of the books describes the 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 butchering process and yes, you know how... it's that same book because they did the deer. Oh, the, the venison, yeah, yeah, it was the venison. I think the venison, yeah. yeah, and and you, I mean, that's a whole day process and just things we take for granted. It's it's pretty yeah. fascinating when when you look back at somebody's life story who has lived a very different experience than you. Yes, absolutely, and I think we see that though. We're so, I I feel like I see the shift of people are going back to like wanting to homestead, right? Like this has become mm -hmm. like a trendy thing and to create with your own hands. And I, I'm wondering if maybe that's what I wanted to tap into as a child was like creating these things mm -hmm. and knowing you were behind it. You were the energy that was behind it. Um, and I think we're yeah. seeing a shift of this in our culture somewhat yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I've definitely noticed that too. Um, um, in the, like the urban gardening is very yeah. big in my neighborhood. There are a okay. lot of chicken coops now, <laughs> even yeah. in, in a fairly dense suburban area, it, like chickens are allowed and, yeah. um, and that's, that's new. I mean, you know, yeah. that's uh, a testament to kind of the pendulum is, is sort of swinging back to um, these roots that I think we all kind of hear the, the call toward, yeah. whether it's gardening or preparing or being self-sustaining. Um, I think we, we have, and I love that, that we have found this new appreciation for uh, what we, I guess what we would consider art forms. Um, my husband and I were discussing this about quilts okay the, just the other day in in the i don't know if this is true in california but in the midwest quilting stores are are becoming more and more popular um because it is such an art form yeah. but it's a practical form of art and craftsmanship and um so we're, we're even seeing a the pendulum swing in that regard as well you know, you could go to Target, you could order a quilt off of Amazon, but there's something very, very special that people are realizing about something that you have created with your own hands, using scrap material, which is what my grandma did, you know, yeah. she was a quilter. And that's what she would do is she would do, you know, they would, they never threw away anything, they, they kept all their old clothes and aprons and, and things like that and they would turn them into something else yeah. that they needed uh for survival and back yeah. to the resourcefulness again that's like, right yeah my i'm sure my grandmother is a quilter too and i am sure that i can picture the quilt that she made me as a kid and i'm sure my mom still has it in the closet at home <laughs> <laughs> and it's beautiful and I would never get rid of it right because you know what went into it and it was made with mm -hmm. love because it's from your you know my grandmother but from family and she made one for my my oldest son when he was born too like and I remember her calling me like what colors are his room gonna be like what and then she made for him and now she she doesn't do quilting as much anymore I think obviously it's an intensive craftsmanship yeah. and so she still makes them blankets and pillowcases but it's i think just quilting is it's a lot it is a lot yes it is it is meticulous um i mean my grandma she would make quilts for other people other people paid her to make yeah. quilts and she never charged what the quilts were worth because i mean it was just hours and hours and hours of time yeah yeah i remember she you know did your grandma have that big long loom 
She did not. She would go, she's always been part of like the sewing clubs. And so I think oh, a lot yeah. of what she would do is she would do it there. So she has the sewing machine at the house. Um, oh, gotcha. But I think she would go, I remember her taking the quilt somewhere to do the, I can't remember what that final process is called. Oh, but yeah. She would, yeah, she would take them and they would do that final big process for mm -hmm. her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't think of what. It's not basic, is it? My grandma would be so disappointed in me, <laughs> but, but I, so she actually had the, the frame, she would go to the church sewing groups as well. Yeah. Um, but she had her, the frame in her living room and she loved watching Jeopardy in the afternoon. And I just have these memories of her watching Jeopardy and she's hand, she was, she was a hand stitcher. Okay. So wow. she would hand, hand stitch the, the quilts and, uh, shouting out answers to Jeopardy. <laughs> like, I love it. <laughs> it was uh, just such fond memories. Yes. Do you have any quilts of hers still? I do. I okay. do, in fact. Yeah. And I have some, she made me one when I got married. So okay. she made us a quilt and made my baby blanket as well. And um, I actually have a quilt um, just um, in, in my room too. I, in, where I'm where I'm speaking right now so sometimes I will use that you know just yeah. to stay warm it's just a simple little throw size quilt but yes yeah. definitely kept them I love that so much and again like you're always you pull that blanket and you just think of them right you get mm -hmm. those memories yeah. the other question I was going to ask you to tie it back here is do you have like a common book for yourself do you have something that you keep recipes or quotes for your children oh um I don't, but it, it might be a good idea to start that. Yeah, I just was wondering if it inspired you. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, in some ways, I think that, I think that's a great idea. And in fact, I would like my mom to actually do that, you know, while she could, while, while she's still able to, um, put things down on paper sure. and, um, but you know, I've never thought about it myself. Now I do collect recipes. I, I am intentional about that. And, and like these recipes that I've found in our family heritage, I have those that I want to pass on to my yeah. girls and um, the artifacts like the quilts and the family stories. Um, I have things like that, but I haven't, no, I haven't started a comic okay. book. Yeah. yeah. Not to put you on the spot. I just was, as you were talking, I'm like, that is such a good idea. I should start one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, I actually saw a YouTube video about it. I guess it's, it's, I don't know if we, if you call it a trend, but it's something that people do even today. Yeah. Like there's there, if you, you can YouTube how to start a common book and you can find some instructions on, on how to get started and what type okay. of book to use. Well, I know what I'll be doing then. I'll be in the <laughs> next few days. I'm going to be researching a common book. <laughs> what have you learned about yourself through writing? Oh, man. Um, I have learned that I am a perfectionist. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I expect a lot of myself in that first draft. Okay. I've learned that. So I have learned to give myself a lot more grace um with that first draft and to trust the process as they say yeah. uh, but just to allow that the first draft even maybe the second draft to just be what it is and, and let it be rough it's meant to be rough um and there's always that op i'm a much stronger editor than i am 
a drafter. Okay. So uh, just trusting that, you know, those editing skills will kick in when, when they're, when it's time. Yeah. So Once you get the story there. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I got to get the structure first and then we can, we can leverage those editing skills. I love that. Okay. Very interesting. So, and are there other authors that you would say that they're better at like structuring the story? It, like, is it like your brain works differently like that? Oh yeah. I, okay. I definitely, in talking to other authors, there seems to be, you either like one or the other, you either like okay. the writing process or the, and you don't like the editing or it's vice versa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like me. So yeah, it is interesting how, different minds work, you know, different writers, uh, our processes are so different. Um, and some people like to have a full outline of their story. They, they like to know even before they start writing page sure. one, they like to know every detail of how it's gonna, maybe not every detail, but a fairly, fairly detailed outline of how sure. the story is going to go. And I'm not like that. I, I like to know generally where we're going and just kind of let the characters take me on an adventure. I love that. Um, and then I've also heard other authors talk about kind of like the switching gears. It's like you get the book finished and then you have to go to the marketing, but then you're also still trying to maybe work on another book at the same time and just these different hats you're wearing as an author yeah. as well. Yeah, it's, it's can be a lot to balance. Um, so that's, that's exactly where I am right now, actually. So I have the one, my first book is out and still doing marketing for that. You will always do marketing for every book that you release. Uh, but now Divine Proverbs Trusel is out, but I'm also writing book number three and got my eye toward book number four because you just, yeah, it's, it's a pretty steady cycle and you're never solely focused on one book at a time. There's always layers to it. Which I have to imagine is nice. So I don't know, I don't know if the term in the industry is writer's block, but say you're working this third book that you're working on and maybe you're experiencing some writer block. It's like, okay, you know, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to go focus on these other hats that I wear as an author. Yeah. And you can just pour your energy into that. And you're still feeling like maybe quote unquote, you're being productive. Mm hmm but you're not stuck over here trying to force something that's just not working at that moment. Yeah, I, I, that's accurate. Yes. I, so there's always something that you can shift to. Yeah. And sometimes with, when writer, writer's block comes up, you do just need to let it, let it steep for a minute, you know, just yeah. let it sit and go focus your energy on something else, like you said. And yeah, that's, that's very accurate. What you okay. described. I've noticed, well, I've noticed some parallels in the podcasting world to authors as well. And it's kind of that in that same realm. I mean, we're not writing per se, but there's different hats I can wear. And it's like, well, this is just not, I don't have the energy for this right now. It just feels like I'm stuck. I can go do the other hats that I need to wear as a podcaster and doing the marketing or creating or just yeah. putting the show notes out, you know, just getting that on there. Um, and so I've noticed some parallels along that. And so I'm like, it has to be yeah. similar. Feeling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, in a way, I guess authors are, in a sense, content creators, just like yeah. podcasters. So yeah, there are a lot of parallels. You're right. Yeah. So interesting. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about who you are as a reader and what genres you enjoy. Yeah. So my number one go-to is either contemporary, followed okay. closely by historical, 
been so gracious to bring three books for us today. Can you tell us a little bit how they pair together? Yeah, absolutely. So let me tell you first, um, the books, these are some of my all time favorite books as a reader, and they have certainly helped shaped my writing in, okay. in some regard. Um, so the first is Little Women, okay. um, classic Louisa May Alcott. To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee is w one of my all-time favorites. Um, and then Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Okay. And one of the things that ties all of those together is, um, well, first of all, they, they do deal with uh, small town, more you know, rural life settings, but they also have that intergenerational relationship and dynamic to them. Yeah. And so like with little women, it's, it's Joe March and her, and her mom, her mom is so full of wisdom. Any little women fans out there know what I mean? Like Marmy is so full of, of life wisdom, um, that is relevant regardless of what generation you're in. And then with two kill a mockingbird, it's scout Finch and her father Atticus, um, they had just such a special relationship um, that that I very much admire. And then with Fried Green Tomatoes, it's Evelyn and the woman that she meets in the nursing home, Mrs. Threadgood. And Mrs. Threadgood, of course, is taking this opportunity to share her life story with Evelyn, who is sort of struggling her way through life. And Mrs. Threadgood's stories helps inspire some things in, in Evelyn's life. And I just love that the, the way that the um, generations are coming together and there's wisdom being shared from one to the, to the next. Um, and they both impact each other too. You know, it's, it's not just the older generation impacting the younger. There's always a, an upward influence as well. So those are some of my favorite books of all time. And, um, and they're all classics and, and they're classics for a reason, you know, yeah. they, they resonate with so many people. Yeah. I actually felt so much of just what you were talking about of that influencing in both directions. I felt that so much when I was reading your book, the extraordinary deaths mm -hmm. of Mrs. Kip and mm -hmm. how they were influencing one another. And mm -hmm. I think that's so true. The quote that I have at the end of the show is that books are like people and they come into your life when we most need them. And I think that fits perfectly here of it's just that that wisdom that is imparted between both of us. And we all can provide value to one another's lives if we just take the time to listen. Oh, amen. So beautifully said. And I love that quote that you use at the end. It's it's so true. So yeah. perfect. Yeah. Stories are like those friends that we need at just the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And they'll come walk alongside us and. Um, I had a gentleman way back on episode 27, and he said that, you know, basically along the lines of like, we're all coming to a book with our, our struggles of the day, our joy of the day, our happiness of the day. And just all, he had this list of things that was so beautiful. And it just was, a, you know, but, and that book is going to impact you based off of, you know, mm -hmm. where you're showing up today to that book. Yeah. Oh, love that. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting um, that you say that because I, the book number three that I'm working on right now, it's, it's, I guess it, it kind of promotes that a little bit in the sense that, so it's about um, 
a mom and her two grown daughters who were going on a bookish road trip around the heartland okay and all these different sites around uh so they're based in kansas city and they kind of go clockwise around kansas city into iowa nebraska missouri um oklahoma and every stop you know they're 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 immersing themselves in that the author or the book that is connected to that particular town but they're all interpreting the book in a different way you know it's it's hitting them in a different way based on what are their struggles at that moment? What what lens are they coming to that story with? And that's that's a beautiful thing about stories is not only are, are we get out of it what we're meant to get out of it in that time. Yeah. So for instance, with To Kill a Mockingbird, I've read that book. That's probably the book I've read the most on repeat. Okay. And I first read it in high school. Well, how I read it in high school and what I took away from it in high school is very different than yeah. how I'm taking how it's hitting me now as a mom of teenage daughters and um, and that that's just such a beautiful thing about stories is it it's the lens through which you're seeing it that day and it could be a different lens five years from now but yet you're still getting new layer of meaning out of it yeah every every time you come to it. I was thinking the same thing because I reread To Kill a Mockingbird last last year. And again, so different, to, uh, much different take on it than when I read it for high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why they're classics, though, right? They've held the test of time. And because and I think about this to very simply as the Bible, right? You could read that how many times, right? But you come to it in a, the lens or a struggle of that moment. And that message is just going to be that much more impactful at that time yeah and something different will jump out at you it's like how did i never see that before but it's because you i believe it's because you were meant to see it in that moment at that time it's like a little gift um for exactly that struggle that you're in at the moment yeah and the depth of those books right are these books that have held the test of time i think that's why they have is because there is so much depth to the story that it will hit you differently at different periods of your life Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder if these authors, as an author, do you think about that? Like, hmm. Um, sort of. I, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I think about it in, in the sense that you, you, the story that, that I put out into the world, I wanted to have fruit sure. in the reader's life. And, um, and I definitely pray for that. And I, and I pray that, um, it will, impact readers the come alongside what's already happening in the in the reader's life in that moment and you know if that happens um you know 50 years from now you, people are still reading mrs kip then i mean praise god for that because that that means that it's still producing fruit and that's the whole goal for me as an author is i just want the stories to produce fruit for sure. however long that season is so i think about it in in that way yeah yeah okay thank you for asking that or answering that i feel like that's really i've never thought about asking a guest that but as our conversation has progressed i'm like that's something interesting to think about mm-hmm. yeah so i mean and i don't know that you know louisa may alcott or harper lee would have i know harper lee you know based on biographies that i've read of her they don't i, mean, I don't think authors can anticipate how yeah. a book is going to land with readers or that it's going to take off the way that it does but 
Um, but what a special blessing when it, when it does. And, yeah. and to know that you, something that, that you help bring into the world is, is having an impact on people. Yeah. And a special blessing for us as a reader as well, that we get to read your stories. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so one last question here about reading. How do you find time in your day to read? Oh, some days it's easier than others, but I, I think it's so important as an author to always be reading sure. and, um, and to be reading widely, you know, a, a lot of different genres and styles and cultures. So I tend to carve out time at night, okay. uh, sort of reserve that time, um, keeps me from scrolling through my phone too late at night. You know? So agreed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I usually have a book on uh, my bedside every night and, and I um, work my way through that. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's how I work it in. Yeah. Where do you get your book recommendations from? Um, largely from Instagram, honestly, okay. and, and other, other book um, lovers, you know, authors, of course, you know, I, I'm immersed in the author network. Authors are always readers first. And sure. so, and they're usually very widely read. So um, I get a lot of recommendations from fellow authors as well. Okay. I love that. Because I feel like that's the thing, right? It's it, part of the impetus behind why I created this show is I wanted to read more widely, right? It's like I have my go-to genres, but there's so many other books out there. And for example, I had said I was not a fantasy reader, although I did like Harry Potter, but it just was never a genre I would gravitate towards. But there's so these genres can be so big. I'm like, well, where would I even start if I wanted to see if I might like fantasy? I was just like, what if I start talking to people about different genres? I mean, that was where I started way back when I started the show was I had friends that were a fantasy reader that read romantic fiction. I'm like, can you come on and give us three books that would pair if we really wanted to sample this genre and see if we liked it? Oh, and it nice. has morphed into so much more than that, I think. But that was way back when I started the show, that was where I started was just to read more widely and try different genres. Nice. So yeah. And I thought others might want to do that too. You know, like you're saying, we, as authors, we try to read widely. So it's like, well, I think we're all trying. I mean, and we have so little mm -hmm. time to read and to devote to reading. So it was like, well, let's go to someone that's a trusted source or that this is yeah. their go to genre, they can really speak to that genre for us. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think you, you, the trusted source, I mean, you, you tend to very quickly sort of nail down who are those people yeah. that, that have similar tastes to you, but will also challenge you to read beyond your comfort zone. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely have some people like that who, who will challenge me to uh, read beyond what I personally would pick up or gravitate to, but I very much trust their opinion about whether or not this this is worth the limited time that you have to actually read yeah and i love that that's a way to continue to foster a friendship too right as if you're thinking about or they message you like hey i think you'd really like this book it's just this little mm -hmm. ping in your ear of like you were thinking about me that i would like Aww. this book and like and then and vice versa right back that back and forth relationship again is i'll read something and i'm like oh i gotta go tell my friend ashley right like i know because i know she really would like that style of book and so it's i think in a way it just kind of fosters your friendships too if they're you know i moving around a lot my friends are local to me a lot of times they're living mm -hmm many miles away. So for me, it's just this way again, and maybe another way to love, love your friends, right? Uh, 
I thought about you when I read this book, so I wanted to share it. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, so. it does foster a, um, a deep and meaningful relationship when yeah. you can share stories like that. Yeah, and back to this third book you're working on, I think that that sounds like a bookish vacation I want to go on, but I imagine the books and the story will do this for your characters as well. Absolutely. Yeah, the, it, it's um, stories have a way of sort of bringing out what we're feeling in, in way, it maybe give us words to express mm -hmm. what we're feeling. Um, I have found that to be true as, as a reader. Sometimes I just don't know, is what I'm feeling normal? <laughs> I mean, does anybody else struggle with this? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, there's a famous quote, I don't know who said it, but um, it's, uh, so we read to know that we're not alone. Yes. And um, so that's one thing that I, I deeply, deeply appreciate about stories, um, especially authors who write story who put are very vulnerable and put themselves on the page sometimes they are giving me the words to express what i'm going through or what i'm feeling yeah. and um and that helps in relationships and um in a number of ways yeah um, and i think just that comfort to again know that you are not the only person out there in the world that is experiencing whatever you're experiencing i think Right. Sometimes I see that gives me like, I can tone it down a little bit of like, okay, I'm not the first person that has been here. <laughs> I will get through someone else made it through and I will too. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Gives you a, a beacon of hope. Yes, absolutely. Beacon of hope. I think that's perfect. Well, let's finish off the show here with what I call our bonus pairings. And they're just a speed round of questions. So these can be pretty Ooh. quick. So where is your favorite place to read? Oh, in bed cuddled up in bed love it and then what is one book you have read that has changed your life that's a hard question okay so i will have to go with the grapes of wrath by okay. john steinbeck yep um should i explain or yeah just... yeah totally. okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um so john steinbeck i actually discovered him when i was an early teenager and you know so i i kind of graduated from like the ramona series and and okay. little house on the prairie to john steinbeck uh, that's a big and jump. <laughs> that is a big jump and i didn't understand it right like it, it sure. hit me very differently back then but the one thing that steinbeck um showed me is that he always set his stories in small towns Okay. most of his stories and he showed me how to deal with real life contemporary issues in a very um, artful and meaningful way so that revolutionized that. my uh, view of th the purpose of story i love that i just read um east of eden right that's done oh yeah mm -hmm. i read that mm -hmm. this year i decided to tackle it i try to do you know i try to insert the classics every now and then. And that was when I don't think I read in high school. So I was like, I'm going to tackle that yeah. one this year. That's, that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a rereader? Oh yes, for okay. sure. If it's a book that I absolutely love for sure. And I, I'm a rereader. I'm a highlighter. I'm a dog okay. ear, like yeah. all the things. Yeah. You really get in the book there. <laughs> yes, exactly. You, I had to give myself permission to like write in books because I think it was so ingrained in my mind of like, no, I don't do that. And I guess I get a lot of books from the library as well. But I was like, oh, true. When I started highlighting and I was like, it, it felt so foreign to me doing it. I'm like, I don't think oh. I should be doing this. <laughs> well, can I just say, and I know a lot of people have that that treasured view of books and, and yeah. rightfully so. 
But I will say as an author, there that is a huge compliment. If okay. somebody is highlighting and interacting and dog-earing um, a book, like there is no greater compliment than that, in my opinion. Yeah, I love that, the interacting with a book. That's a great way of saying that. So, well, thank you for sharing that. And then last yeah. question here, what are you reading next? Um, actually, what I'm reading right now is um, Dickens and his Christmas Carol. Oh, it's, it's, been on, it's been on my list for a while, um, but I'm finally getting into it. And it's, it's, it's very enjoyable. I'm only four or five chapters in, but really yeah. uh, enjoying this story. And there's so many references to the Christmas Carol right throughout our pop culture and all yeah. of that. So I imagine it's got to be really fun to go back to the true source. Yeah. That. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's also, you know, it's, it's a fictionalized version of how he wrote the book and, or he, yeah, wrote the story. And, and so you're kind of getting that author point of view as well. Oh, okay. I was thinking this was the Christmas Carol, but I guess I misunderstood oh, that. Okay. No, it's a novelized version and it's called oh. Dickens and his Christmas Carol. It's a fictionalized version of how and why the Christmas Carol came about in Dickens life and what was I going on that. in his life at the time and the struggles that he was going through. And it, I, so I'm learning a lot about it's historical fiction. So I'm learning okay. a lot about him but also just what his author process was like. And again, we, cool. we read to know that we're not alone. And so he, he also struggled with a lot of the same writing things that, that modern authors struggle with. Yes. Okay. Well, that sounds like a really cool book now that I know the whole premise of it. Not that the Christmas Carol isn't fantastic as well, but... <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I know your time is precious and I appreciate all you've given me. Oh, thank you so much. This was a fun conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today with Sarah Brunsvold and her book flight of intergenerational stories. We'd love to hear what other books you'd pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show, so if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.